Welcome to the podcast From Depression to Expression. I'm your host, Oliver Schirach. I have struggled for many years with low energy, self-worth and depression, which have hindered me to truly live my life and express the beauty that is within me. To help myself, I started to learn a lot of things. After many years, I feel ready to share what I've learned with you. You're at the right place if you want to find out more about what is depression, what can cause it and how to get out of it again. It's either for you or for someone you know. We will be going out into realms that are not yet accepted by mainstream. We will be talking about the effects of food on your emotions, being unaware of your emotions, shadow work, triggers, soul retrieval, awakening, dark night of the soul, near-death experiences and much more. Some of those shows would be just me talking about things that are on my heart and what I learned lately. Other shows are with guests from around the world which will share their knowledge with us and broaden our horizons. Those guests can be scientists, shamans, medicine men or women, therapists, personal coaches and of course people that went through depression themselves and sharing their experience, what they learned by finding out who they are. Follow me on this journey to learn more about how to overcome depression. Learn to accept and love yourself truly. So we can embrace our authentic self unapologetically and start expressing who we are without fear, but with joy and lightness. Please remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and share this episode with someone you know that needs to hear this information. So without any further ado, let's get into today's show. So there we go. We had a little bit of longer break than I thought, like 20 minutes. <laughs> we both needed it. And uh, we also updated the lightning for Stephen here <laughs> for the second part. And depending on how long we're going to continue this, this might be actually the second part of the interview, which will come um, separately. And I, we actually talked about your book. So Let's go more into the book and the story there. I mean, from last year's talk, I know there's a lot of things which went on. I mean, you shared with end of 2007, basically you started to get into dark, dark night of your soul, right? And then uh, with the death of your mom in the beginning of 2009, this was like the big shift. And then you went into the self-help, basically with the 12 steps and you grew and you just shared in, in the break that your whatever girlfriend, the mother of your son, didn't grow out of the spiritual, you know, uh, the dark night of the soul, uh, of the toxic or the negativity you both were in when you kind of met. So how did the book come to life? I know it was a doctor work. It was a, um, that's how it started. But how did, why did you take a doctor? So I, 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 I took the doctor, as, as I said in, in the, in the first, first part of this, is because I didn't do very well at school. So going through the basics of maths and English all the way up, I, I got to my MBA in 2004. 
And I thought there was nowhere else to go after that. I, I, I wanted to be a doctor, but that was ego. At that time, it was super ego and vanity. And it was also this tremendous itch because of I left school with nothing. So I was trying to prove to myself and to the world, and the world didn't really care less, that I was clever because I should have proved I was clever when I was at school and I didn't. So I thought I had nowhere else to go because the only time, the only doctorates were around in them days were the PhDs. And it was more for scientists and I'm not a scientist. And then I don't know how I fell upon it, but I, I the, the, the doctorate in business ad, uh, administration um, has only been in vogue, has only been in fashion for the last few years. It's not been, it's not been very, it's not been around basically. So I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. And, and it's more geared towards managerial research over problems at work um, and business and organisations rather than the PhD scientific stuff. There, there is differences, but what the fundamental ones are, not quite sure. But anyway, so I thought, okay, DBA, what on earth do I talk about? What, what is it, what I can make a proposal over that will be relevant and valid. And one of the things I toyed with was communication. Uh, because no matter where you go, everybody complains about too little or too much or irrelevant conversation, uh, communication. So what is it and how does it apply to work? how you measure that and do that I, I never really got as far as that and then as I was working the 12 steps and step 12 is to carry these principles in all our in all your affairs so in other words we, we we've gone through the the reason the fundamental reason why we were there we've sorted that out and now as we've sorted ourselves out it's time to take that and apply the principles not just to ourselves to yourself but to the world around you and this comes back to leading by example as well so i didn't have much success in the in the corporate world i was defiant i was awkward i was confrontational but not in a physical way just quick with my mouth i was um insolent and a bit of a smart ass because it was clever. But was that was that from 2005 to to your breakdown in 2008, or yes. was that basically, basically yes? So as as I worked my program and, and I went through the isms and I started to look at my part, the, the common element towards my personal life, my relationships, my work life, my home life. Everything, everything what's happened to me, the common element is me. So it's too arrogant to say it's the world and it's everybody else. If the common element's me, what is it about me that's not attract, what's attracting the wrong stuff? What signals am I giving out that's not attracting the healthy stuff? And that comes back to looking at your isms and the way you respond and react. So I, I went through mine and I looked at myself in a working environment as well as the home life as what we've mentioned before. 
And I thought, what is it about me at work that really upsets, <laughs> sort of upsets everybody? And getting to the bottom of that was interesting, shall we say. So when I went back into, as I picked myself up and dusted myself down and started getting back to work, I changed my attitude and the way I said things and the way I did things. Now, that there's a lot of talk about servant leadership in spirituality. Well, there's none of that nonsense for me. It was about being the authentic me, being a human being, and other people were human as well. So we all make mistakes. We all do something we shouldn't have done, and it might be ignorance rather than intention. But at work, when you make a mistake, it can be very career-threatening. You know, you, you make one mistake at work, and that can be you done for the rest of your, your career at that place. Well, that, that's not right. You know, we're human. We make mistakes. And also a lot of managers and leaders are taught in certain ways in terms of what they should be and should do at work without really being who they are. They're taught in business schools. They've been consultants in. They spend millions on education and training. They spend millions on consultants. But none of it seems to work. So what is it? What is it? What, what's going wrong and what needs to be put right, if anything at all? So that got me thinking, if I'm carrying these principles in all my affairs, including work, what am I doing different at work that's getting different results, if anything at all? Now, couple that with, because it was a business doctorate, the common element is suffering. We all suffer at one way or another, at some time or another. We've either suffered at home, we suffer as a result of doing something what we shouldn't have done, we pay the consequences for it. We suffer as a result of what other people have done to us. And we suffer as a result of what situation and life throws at us. So the key word suffering. Now, if you take that into a business context, in the UK alone, there was 142 million days lost in production. 142 million lost days in, in production. One year. For, in 2017 to 2018, due to sickness. The first, the highest level of sickness was coughs and colds and people having a day off. You know, just one of those, they may just didn't want to go in today. The second biggest cause of that, that amount, and this was the Office of National Statistics, which is a government body. So these are official figures that I'm quoting here. The second biggest reason for people being off sick was stress from work, overworked, doing too much. And the reasons what most gave, the majority gave was bullying and unreasonableness from their direct managers and leaders, <laughs> which was causing them to suffer, which was causing them to go off sick with heart attacks and stress. So suddenly we've got a key word here, suffering. So, as I alluded to before, my 12-step program came from Alcoholics Anonymous originally, and that's helped millions and millions of suffering alcoholics the world over. And that's spawned other 12-step groups that still work on the same 12-step step principle, but with a different subject matter. So I, I suffer as a result of other people drinking, not because I drink myself. So 
if I'm if if you've got people who are suffering as what they've done to themselves and suffering as what other people have done to them, then what is it, if anything at all, in these 12-step programs and this spirituality that I follow that can alleviate the suffering at work and the stress and the mental anguish? What is it, if anything at all? And that was the proposal. If it has helped millions and millions of people the world over, there's got to be something in it that can help somebody at work. Okay. So and that was my dissertation. That was your dissertation. So, and I was wondering, okay, so you you got to that question, which which is nice, right? It's, it's your suffering and your suffering, right? You had personally led you to think like, how can I help other people in business? Because you had an MBA and you wanted to continue in the business world. So how can I help? others and i mean that's what a lot in this spiritual world or personal improvement is find out how you can help others you know um to find work it's one of these things so to for me personally now i'm I try to understand so in 2008 when you lost everything so you you lost your work you were you, you were working alone You were a freelancer or you were... Um, I, I worked for organizations and I worked on my own and I had my own organizations. But you were so, fired and you lost also the freelance. Yeah, I, I lost my businesses. I, I got fired all the time. I was... I was yeah, yeah. And, that, just, and the firing was because of your arrogance and the way you interacted it was, with people. It was, it was insolence and being confrontational and argumentative. Okay. And, and then you came, of course, and then you went into this program. Did you then work afterwards until yeah. you made your dissertation? Yeah. yeah. So so against the backdrop is while I wasn't working, I, I had no money whatsoever. Nothing. I was really, really broke. However, I did the money I did have was used to go and see myself. That was my priority. I set that as a priority. So I had no money. I was so poor. I mean, you made a joke about, Uh, last time you spoke to me was having my coat on because it was cold. Well, I, I couldn't afford the heating. Couldn't afford it. So I was so poor. It was unbelievable. My priority was not my son suffering as a result of my mistakes. So he's got no idea to this day what sacrifices I've made because he doesn't need to. It's not, it was my choice. He doesn't need to know that. So yes, I got fired. So as I got back into industry, I decided, right, what do I need to do to present myself in a better light? And I'll pick you up on something you just said. It's not about helping people. It's about helping people to help themselves. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't help anyone if they don't want to be helped. I'm not going to waste time on, on trying to help somebody who's in denial or the world's against them or it's everybody else. But what I can do is to say, Have you thought about this? Or I've done that. Or I've done this. And example. Lead by example. What we're saying before. It's leading by example. So it's about attraction rather than promotion. We don't we don't do it. It's nothing to do with me. But at the same time, my heart goes out to people who are suffering. And what really gets on my nerves is people who won't won't who are suffering but have tried everything. Tried everything. 
well, have you tried spirituality or have you tried this or have you tried that? Oh, no, that won't work. Well, you've not tried everything then. And you're not, you're not giving anything a chance and you're clearly unhappy. So are you happy in your own unhappiness and in your own misery? Because you're dismissing everything or you're trying what you think or trying what you like. But then it gets to a point where you try what you don't like and you try what you don't think will work because you ran out of options. And that comes back to the courage side. So I presented myself in a different light. I, I treated people humanely. I had boundaries. I responded, I didn't react. I spoke to people with um, respect. I had a constructive argument rather than a destructive conversation. And I respected that other people were doing it that way because that's the way they thought they had to be in business. That's the way they had to manage and that's the way they had to lead because that's the way they were taught. But it doesn't work. But they didn't know the alternative. And they've seen other people who were arrogant and horrible and bullying go up and be promoted. And they thought to get that promotion, they had to be the same. They had to copy, they had to emulate and be the same. That was the culture. That's culture. So why as human beings do we have to say to somebody else, I've employed you and your survival depends on me because if I sack you or if I don't like you, guess what? You're not going to have a job and you're not going to have any money. So you, you've got, you owe me and you've got to do as I say, not necessarily as I do. And that was the biggest problem in my research that came about was managers, words, not action, empty words, false words, not making a decision, not treating people humanely, holding grudges, holding people accountable for innocent mistakes, horrible, horrible, horrible cultures and situations. And then you get other managers who won't make a decision because they're scared if it's the wrong one, that's their career threatened. So it was just all big, horrible mess. People don't leave an organization they leave because of the boss, the manager. That was the biggest citation of all. So what is it about that manager and leader, what they're doing and not doing, that's causing that person to leave or suffer? That's the fundamental part of the dissertation. So yeah. I started to treat people with respect. I started to listen, understand, persuade, motivate, explain, look at the benefits, look at the reasons as opposed to just standing there going, do it that way or else. So how was this dissentist, your, your, your doctor, your PhD or whatever it's called <laughs> in business, um, did you work in the same time or were you full, fully at school or at university? Uh, I, I did bits of jobs. I, I was going... The, the universe gave me time, fortunately, to, to really sit and think about my, my program and the way it was doing. So I, I got bits of contracts, which just kept the money trickling in. Okay. So pretty much I, I did my doctorate full time. And I needed to because I, I write as I speak. So there's a, <laughs> there a lot of words in my dissertation. I, I could not have done my dissertation if I'd had a family, 
if I'd if I'd been in a relationship, I'd been working. If I did do it, it, it wouldn't have been the quality that it was. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I needed that time to dedicate myself to doing that just by doing occasional jobs to pay for the course. So I really immersed myself in it. And I loved it to the point where it became an unhealthy obsession. Oh. Loved it. It became, my, my continuous improvement is an addiction. My further education is an addiction because of the reasons that I recognised from school. So I was doing it Christmas Day. I loved that, doing it on Christmas Day, Boxing Day, New Year's Day, birthdays, weekends, two days straight without any sleep, without having a shower, day and night, four o'clock in the morning, two o'clock, six o'clock. Every hour God sent, I was up doing my dissertation. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Well, on one hand, that's to be admired. The second one is quite sad because it meant, you know, that's all I was doing. Yeah, but on, I mean, one side, I can definitely see the passion behind it. But on the other hand, it's like also giving you the time to really breathe and be some something else. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I learned an awful lot. That was part of my self-development is doing that dissertation and interviewing people who had been through far worse than me, far, far, far worse than me. And, and, and that was very humbling. They were very, very honest, very, very candid about what they'd been through. And it was summed up nicely by a few of them saying it got to that point where they would have either committed murder or suicide. Wow. You know, I, was never, I was never at that. So these these were what my these are what my interviewers said. They hit that rock bottom so hard and so frustrated, murder or suicide. Literally, literally, that was the choice they had at that moment in time. That's how uh, that's how far they dropped. Yeah, I didn't expect that answer, but I have to go in there. <laughs> what what was the turning point that they didn't take their life or kill whatever their boss? I assume or their co-workers, or, what or, the, or the husbands and wives or sons and daughters, you know? Oh, shit. So, but, but you interviewed people um, in relation to work, right? I, I interviewed them because it was a business degree. I had to push it towards the work. Yeah. But a lot of people found their spirituality through their home life and just like me carried it over into their work. They didn't find spirituality at work. They found it as a result of what was happening in their personal lives. Okay, so it wasn't the stress from work. Like you, you mentioned before that the bosses were treating them really bad, um, talking one thing, but it was just hollow and no action afterwards and they were burned out. So it was more they were burned out at home because of their private life. Yes and no. So what I mean by that is if you've got troubles at home, you've got troubles at work. If you've got troubles at work, you've got troubles at home. Are there people which can separate? Are there people which have really a lot of stress, but the family life at home can somehow balance them out? So very few people, very few. Because in the UK, it was a big no-no to take your, your home troubles into a working environment. In, in the but it was perfectly acceptable to take your work troubles into your home environment. 
And if you're spending all day and you're stressed at work, it's not that easy to walk out the factory door and, and go home and be not stressed. And then equally, if you're having a row or an argument or you've got problems with alcoholism or anything else in your family, it's very hard to go back into work and not think about that when that's on your mind, about somebody you love yeah. or your friend. So what compounded it was they were going from one stressful situation caused by somebody at home into another workplace environment that was causing them stress through somebody at work. And then back home, continuing the circle so it was stress it was and then stress, stress, stress. Exactly. Yeah. What was first, the egg or the hen? Right. Did it you was, find out? It was, it was mainly through home. It was the home life. And then the, the work life compounded it. And a bit like me, rebelled at work, whereas they didn't so much rebel at home. Or they got to that point then what said, Do you know what? Something's got to change. Stay in the situation, remove yourself from the situation or remove or remove the situation from yourself. Okay. So it, it was compounded by, because I skewed it towards, the, it had to be a work dissertation. But asking the questions, where did your spirituality come from? What, 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 what triggered that, that path? It was very much a situation at home. Okay. And now, did you ask them directly where did spirituality come from or did you have to use other questions to get to to that point no i, I asked them i asked them point blankly you know like you've asked me what 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 was the start of my spiritual path so, so they well, were aware they were on the spiritual path did you did you have people you interviewed which were not really considering that a spiritual path they just I had, I had two people who confused spiritualism with spirituality. What's the difference? Uh -huh. So, so, I, <laughs> so part, part of the criteria when I was looking for people to interview, the only question I asked them was, uh, do you consider yourself to be spiritual, yes or no? And if they said yes and they were working, then I would interview them. So I would say, I said to two people, Three people, are you spiritual? And they said, yes. Do you carry your spirituality beliefs at work? Yes or no? Are you working? Yes. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about it. Why not? If you do, what do you carry over and all the rest of it? So the difference between spirituality and spiritualism, spiritual, spiritualism is on the spectrum of spirituality, but it's more involved with the occult. It's about um, Ouija boards. It's about fortune telling. It's about horoscopes. It's about predicting the future. It's going to see gypsies and things like that. And spiritualism, and, and this is just a bit of trivia, is regarded as a sin in the Bible. Lectivus verse 16.3 or something like that. Lectivus. <laughs> Quotes God as saying, he who seeks out a spiritualist will be stoned to death or spend the eternal life in, in hell. Because the reason for that is, is because the devil can manifest itself. The reason is supposedly the devil manifests itself by telling you what the future is and giving you false, a false future, painting it bad or painting it good and first one will happen or the second one doesn't happen. 
it's about predicting and being influenced by what the future is when you don't know if it's right or wrong you've just been influenced by the future instead of living in the day and letting the universe get on with it so it's a mortal sin spiritualism so a lot of people when they say spiritual and they go and see these um clairvoyants it, it's not it's not spirituality it's spiritualism spirituality is about the way you lead your life exactly what all what we've spoken about it's not just about thinking about stuff and thinking about death and being obsessed with life after death it's about living the life now and doing the best you can with it okay so, so the, 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 the remainders all all found their spirituality and then took it into work or some switched it off before they went into work, which was very interesting. Others left their organization because of that reason. They, they wanted to be spiritual 24 hours a day rather than switch it on and off at work. So they moved into other jobs where they could be the authentic self and not be the corporate rat. Wow. I, um, how is his name? Springer. Um, there's an American... Yeah, I don't know what's his title, but he's he 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 went into somewhere in the U.S. far away from everything, built his hut, and was just meditating. And he actually found his wife, <laughs> which was building something close by. And eventually, I just heard an interview with him. I didn't really know him, Springer something Springer. He he has long white hair and a mustache, and he was talking about he was his spiritual life was always there he was building it companies and other things right and building buildings so he had businesses but he was always spiritual even though being in the matter so-called materialistic world so it is and he's he said he was always himself <laughs> so it, it 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 should be possible to be spiritual at work um and be authentic to some degree right um but it's probably not that easy depending on what work you do well that's, but you've, you've mentioned one person who feels com who feels compelled to go and live in a hut in the middle of nowhere it, it, that's right. what he started but then after that when he came back he just carried this you know new insight um of himself and, and lived the business world but that was in the 70s right and he's so yeah, I know yeah. him too little, um, but I, I'll find uh, his name and then um, I'll let you. Well, give a link the, the thing is, though, there's a, there's a lot of companies that that claim to have spiritual beliefs and values, but when it all boils down, well, how how do you determine what spiritual values and beliefs are? My values are different than yours. That doesn't mean to say yours are wrong and mine are right. I can't <laughs> impose my values on you. I can't impose my beliefs on you. So how do you get a spiritual organization that's got values that encompasses everybody? Okay, yeah, th there we go, right? I mean, you can have a spiritual person starting a company and he's living his authentic self with his company, but that doesn't mean everyone which works at that company will no. be able to live their authentic self. Because how, how do I interview you? If I had a spiritual company and I said, well, Oliver, uh, I've got a spiritual organization are you spiritual on a scale of one to 10? How spiritual are you? <laughs> and then, you know, five, oh, that's not good enough. And five, really, 
because that, that was one of the questions that got rejected out of my dissertation. I wanted to ask on a scale of one to 10, how spiritual are you? And they wouldn't let me do it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> then I come just to your explanation, spiritualism versus spirituality. It, it then, I think it's more going into spiritualism because, you know, one to 10, right? Then you, I'm visiting this, I'm, I'm channeling or I'm whatever. I'm I'm dousing and I'm, I'm I'm meditating and all these things, right? And and how you explain spirituality is really like living your life, um, the the right way. But exactly what you said before just also confirmed for me: truth is different for you and for me. Um, there's not a universal truth which is true for everyone. It doesn't exist. There's it- wisdom. Exactly. And, 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 you know, at the end of the day, I'll say to you, are you spiritual? You can join my organization if you're spiritual. And you'll go, yeah, I am. Why, why, why do you do that? Well, I meditate or I'm into mindfulness or I light an incense candle or <laughs> I live in a hut or, or grow a beard and whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm, I'm growing a, a beard. I'm spiritual. Or I'm, I'm, or I'm a Buddhist. You'd be surprised. Well, that's not my belief of spirituality. That's your belief of spirituality. So does that mean you're wrong and I won't employ you? I have a, a wristband with a tiger eye and cat eye and whatever crystals. <laughs> I'll tell you what I've got. I've got a Mickey Mouse watch. That's what I've got on my wrist. <laughs> you're not wearing it, so you're not spiritual enough. I've no, taken okay. it off. Yeah, Mickey Mouse. So so it, it's a serious thing. And then you, so all these organizations and then the way the world turns, you know, look, and part of my research is to say, well, what is a business all about? And mainly it's about making money. It's about making profit for the shareholders. And it's about reinvesting that money into the organization or not, whatever the case may be. But that is what a fundamental business does. It pays the costs and makes a profit. That's the definition of a business. So there's an argument. It was Milton Friedman who who was discredited, who said, well, if you're, if you're a person and you've got the skills that that organisation wants and needs, then you get interviewed, they offer you a contract, you agree the money, so you go in there to be paid to bring the skills and the knowledge to do the best of your ability in that role because that's what your contract is. Anything outside of that is nonsense. Your well-being, your happiness, your, your health and safety is a different thing, but your well-being, your motivation nothing to do with it. You're being paid to bring you to do a job and a skill that nobody else can do to the best of your ability. And at, and, and at the end of that, you get paid. So why should an organization be bothered about your stress, health and well-being? Well, that's fine. But when you start bringing in the human factor of bullying, being horrible, making your life a misery, that suddenly does make it all come a bit more than just go in and get paid. But then equally, if you don't like it, go to another organization. Now, the trouble is most organizations operate on that business. They're there to make money and you bring a skill and you can do the job. They're not the new church where they're meant to look after your well-being and all the rest of it. And at the end of the day, if you can't look after yourself, and you alluded to it earlier on, if you can't live with yourself, like yourself, or love yourself, how can you be a manager and a leader in an organization that likes and loves and want, and you want to live with 
in a working environment. It, does, it doesn't work. It can't work. The spirituality at work and that model and that servant leadership and that's all that altruism cannot work. Because if you're not like that yourself, you can't impose it on other people. You can't tell other people what to do and be. And you can't make other people be something they know. You can only pay them to do a job and, and treat them like a decent human being. But you have to be a decent human being to treat somebody like a decent human being. Yeah, and that's I, I was also thinking, I don't know when when the shift happened, but I mean, I'm I'm really struggling at the moment to find work, or I tell myself, right? As you said, what can I change about myself to 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 change that and draw the, the right things to me? And I was thinking. I had one job, I had on oh, several jobs, I have to go with the cart and stamp in. And if I'm one minute late, I have to write why I'm late a minute. Like, what the fuck is that? I mean, we're humans. You you had to go in the bathroom. Shit, it took a bit longer. There's a bit more traffic. Or you have no more work and you had to wait for 15 minutes in front of the, the time machine before you can leave. Complete bullshit, sorry, in, in today's time you not create more value to the company that way or less value. Uh, but we were treated like robots. As you said, you're paid for your skill set to deliver something. Now, for some years, don't ask me, you, you made the research. <laughs> I didn't. Um, something must have changed, right? With people getting more perks, you can meditate during work or you get juices, Um You, you can work from home sometimes. You have uh, outdoor offices where there's a lot of, you know, so you can relax a bit. Because when you're as a human are more relaxed, you're more efficient. I think that's in the end what the companies have realized is like humans, which are happier, more joyful at work and enjoy it, they are creating more output or productive output, efficient output. But but that's that's very true. But that's never caught on in the UK. So you know that all this juices and meditation. I I I I don't drink juices because it's full of sugar, and I don't meditate. So why why should somebody go and meditate for 15 minutes and I can't, or I don't? I choose not to. Do I make a complaint that they're getting 15 minutes and I'm not, or do I go and do something else in that 15 minutes? Well, that causes chaos. And I don't drink juice. I drink coffee. So rather than have juice, I want coffee. That's well, I meant green thing. juice. I didn't mean uh, sugar juice. <laughs> so, so, but then at the end of the day, let, let me answer this, answer it this way. If that's true, then last year when I, I was more topical, I mentioned the, the, the 137 million lost days. Yeah. When I looked at last week, At the latest figures, it was 149 million between 21 and 22. So it's gone up significantly. Now, a lot of people said, and that was interesting because it was COVID and it was lockdown and people working from home. So you'd start thinking, well, everybody said working from home would be less stressful. Going into work and not having interactions with the managers, surely, surely, surely means the sick levels will come down if they're all blaming the, blaming the bullying and the, the 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 arrogance of the managers but it went up so why has it gone up so if the managers found a way of bullying over the, the airwaves 
have they taken themselves out of a stressful situation at work and have gone back to a, situ a stressful situation at home? So rather than splitting the two stresses up, they've got more of one and less of the other. Well, actually, working on your own and being on your own, lonely, creates havoc in your head. It plays all sorts of tricks in your head being on your own. You've not got the distractions. You've not got the politics. You've not got the... Exactly that, the distractions or the I'm at work, switch off, get on the job, switch back on when I go back home onto that stress and all the rest of it. So you've created a, more of a, you've gone back into more stress at home or working from home is more stressful because you feel compelled to be near the laptop and not switch it off at five o'clock and still be on it at quarter to 10. 11. Or <laughs> the managers have found a way of being bullying over the airways or you're missing that interaction, or actually now you're living at home, you realise you live in a bit of a dump, you, you realise you're cold, and you actually realise that you're stuck with a person who you can't stand, and where you're trying to escape from them for work, you're lumped in with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week now. So did you look at the data or, or, or the questions uh, you just put up? Do you have any answers there? or It's I mean, exactly now you. Because you're done with your, you know, your work. I mean, when, from when to when did you do the work? 2017 to 20 or? 2014 to, I graduated in 2019. Okay. And then my years. book from 2019, and it was published last year. So this is all topical stuff. Okay. So five years for, for your PhD doctor, and then another two years to write the book. Yeah. And writing the book, you also did full time and just work here and there. Yes. Okay. So, and you did that on purpose so you can focus on the, on, on the studies and then focus on the book. I I'd, I'd, I'd like to say I did it on purpose, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it was what it was that the universe threw it at me where I actually finished the book off during COVID because nobody was employing anybody. So it did me a massive favor because I was in a contract then to get it finished to a quality standard. And it went back to, well, I'm not working and I live on my own, so crack on. So actually, when I say COVID was very kind to me, living on my own comes back to, if I can't live on my own, how can I expect somebody to live with me? Excuse me, live with me. Uh, my social life's dreadful anyway, because I just spent the last five years, day and night, writing a dissertation. So I've got absolutely no, no social life. I've not got a girlfriend or a wife to get on my nerves and me to get on their nerves. So it was a perfect scenario to do something that I loved during COVID because it made absolutely no difference. And I'm broke anyway. I haven't got any money. So that didn't make any difference. So it was just more of the same or, or, or something else in a situation what was absolutely perfect for me. And then when I finished the book, I got a job. So it was all meant to be. Oh, yeah, because we didn't talk. We, last time we talked was before the book was published. It was really close. Um, another question I have, like my, you know, master academic mind. <laughs> How many people did you interview for, yeah, for the PhD, for the doctoral work? So because I was very enthusiastic about it, <laughs> I, I managed to interview 22 people. However, 
the normal model for an interview is 12 and three of those are what you call the test subjects where you're testing your questions and everything else. So I went out without knowing any different and, and recruited 22 people, interviewed all of them. And my supervisor went, that's really good. Or my professor said, that's really good. But really, you need 11 tops. That's standard. That's maximum in any in any dissertation. So but isn't more better because they get a bigger variety? No, apparently not. He, he gave me the reason where no, it's actually a case of honestly, less is more. Twelve is twelve is the standard sample. Because how far do you go? Do you do fifty? Do you do seventy? Do you do hundred? It, it apparently works the opposite way, where it dilutes, so it saturates where you're just repeating and repeating what you already know. So, you know, th these people are, are cleverer than me and they 12 maximum, 11 maximum says it all where, where you get your common themes succinctly without saturating it through further interviews. Because I might interview the hundredth person and they'll say something and I think that's magic, but it's one person out of a hundred. Whereas 99 have said exactly the same as each other. So 11 is the common standard in a dissertation. And that was a qualitative or a quantitative? Yeah, so it was more a qualitative. Uh, it was qualitative, research. wordy, because I'm very wordy, mate, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> all those, all those, so out of those 22, 11 got put into the dissertation and and um, 11 went on the, on the cutting room editing floor, which broke my heart at the time. I thought, what a waste of time. Because some of it was gold. You know, really good, really good gold. But I couldn't use it for the reasons why I said I couldn't dilute it with different people. So I had to take the common themes. And then at the end, when he said, so at the end, my dissertation was 220 pages long. And he said, Steve, this is really good. That's the good news. He said, this is really, really good. The bad news is it's got to be 100 pages long maximum. <laughs> <laughs> You're like an overachiever, I can see. Um, going back to probably the first episode, as we are reaching the time frame here, you said because you were not doing the work at school, even though you were clever enough, but you didn't do the homework, your ego started to overdo. So I can see you interview more people than you need to. Probably didn't listen to your professor. <laughs> No, he never and told you, me. He I never told it. you. He no, never asked. I, did it, I did it off my I did it off my own bat. Yeah. So he never told me. He told me afterwards. He let me get on with it. Yeah, and then writing 220 pages instead of a hundred. I mean, you just doubled the work. But it, it feels a little bit like when I do when I did the show notes, now I have a friend which helps me out so I can do more interviews. Um, and I told her my process was you know, writing my notes as a I actually want to do less notes, but I just get more questions coming up like that. Uh, and then I write, and then I have more than the show note can have, right? So I make a blog post out of it, and then I go and shrink it down. And I have show notes, and then I shrink that even more down for LinkedIn. Um, now you can write more. I think LinkedIn has opened it up a bit more. So what did you then do? I mean, you had 220 pages, you're like, yes. And now you have to make 100 out of that. 
So, so I, I think it was more of maybe overachieving, but it was more enthusiasm. And, and that's, that's the truth. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And, and these people who had spent, spent the time, it was gold. It was all gold. So, and this is the truth. This is what I had to do. I was very close to it then by this time after five years, four and a half years. So he said, you got to cut it down to 100 pages. No ifs or buts, no more, no less, 100 pages. So I had to really grip my teeth. And to do that, and this is absolutely true, I had to be so tired, it was unbelievable. Because when you're tired, you, you just go, do you know what, I'm tired. Cut, 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 cut. And to help that, and to help that along a little bit, I drank a lot of red wine. So that was your tactic to, to cut down? Like, let, let's get just so tired and drunk that I just remove. <laughs> yes, exactly. That was the only, only way I could do it. It was the only way. So it was just get to that point at two o'clock in the morning with a bottle of wine inside me going, yeah, 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 yeah. Because if I was sober in the middle of the day, it was too good. When you're drunk, it was like, yeah. Now, on saying that, the next day when it's sobered up, I want to put it all back again. <laughs> so I kept, I kept looking at what it cut out. And I'd want to cut, I, I kept putting stuff back in because it started getting precious. But eventually, I, I did get it down to 100 pages. And the rest of it went brokenheartedly on, on the scrap bin. Then at the end, he said, this is really good. You should think about writing a book. And supervisors, professors never say that. Never. But the ultimate from a doctorate is the, the want, they want you to write a book, but very few people do. So he said, I'll put you in touch with my publishing company. And I spoke to them and I put, I put a proposal together. And luckily, and this comes back to fate and everything's meant to be, I took all those remaining interviewees, those 11, plus the 11 that was in the dissertation, plus another 41 that I went out and interviewed. And that was the fundamentals, what, what, what formed my book. So there's a lot of the dissertation in there, but obviously not the research methodology and all the rest of it, but the, the history, the findings and the quotes from all these people, because it's not the world according to me, it's all these people who have come away with some very humbling and very profound quotes and experiences, hence the murder and suicide, of, of where they got to in their life and how their spirituality had saved them and allowed them to go on and have a you know, quality, a different outlook and perspective. So the book is very much all about 63 interviewees, very little about me, if anything at all, apart from history, apart from a little bit of trivia, apart from some tools and techniques that I've gone through and use and that my interviewees have gone through and used to help somebody to the point of what we've spoken about to, I need, to, I, need to, I need to do something, but I don't know what to do. Will you help me? And that book has taken, it was interesting because I wanted to write it as a self-help book, but that goes against, there's a lot out there. And people don't pick them up and people don't buy them and people don't read them and people don't really do much about them. So it was a different angle 
to come in from a business perspective with spirituality and business to, to get rid of all the taboos and the misunderstandings of what it is and what it isn't. So it's very positioned in a workish way, but very much aimed at the individual because that's the only person you can change. So that was the angle it came in at, the work, rather than are you unhappy at home? Well, there's been a million books read about, written about that. It was about unhappy at work. Why? What is it about the dynamics of an organisation, the values, the, the self-imposed, the bullying, codependency? What do I need to do to enable that change to stop being unhappy and suffering? So it, it was very much coming from the outside in as opposed to the inside out, if that makes sense. Uh, eventually it will. Um, <laughs> because now I'm getting I'm getting to the point it's 11 at night and I'm like, I want to talk more, but uh, I also need to be careful that I'm not cutting out things like you said when you get too tired. Uh, yeah. How did you find the people to interview? Is it only English people? Because only Brits? It, it is only English people because it, it's, when you do a dissertation, 100 pages, 70,000 words is an awful lot of words, but then it's not a lot of words. So the, the teacher, very, very, very straight from the start, you've got to keep it succinct. So the only way of keeping it succinct was to keep it within the UK, because that's where I live. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also about the book, you could have, you know, you, you expanded it for the book. I, I did, but I, I, it was more convenient for me to do it from a UK, to get UK participants. You know, if I tried to go into France and tried to go to America, maybe book two, maybe the sequel will, will do all that. I don't know. <laughs> but it made sense that I found ready and willing volunteers to come and be interviewed in the UK, not just in the local area, but all over the UK. And so complete how did you strangers. How did you find them? Did you have a web page and did you go to Facebook, LinkedIn, or no? They just came, they found you, or what? I, I they found me and I found them. So, what I mean by that is, I, I go to my Al Anon group. So, Al Anon, Al -Anon groups are, are all over the UK and all over the world. So, I, I traveled around going to different Al Anon groups because that was good for my spiritual path. And, and during that, I would say to somebody, I'm doing a doctorate, would you like to be interviewed? And they don't, everybody said yes. So I recruited that way. I, re, I would say to random people who I'm having a conversation with, do you consider yourself spiritual? Yes. I'll put your name down then. I would blatantly say to you, are you spiritual? Yes or no? Yes. Do you work? Yes. Right. Yeah, you'll do. And then I also got referrals by saying, well, no, I'm not but you want to go and talk to my friend or my cousin or my brother because they're spiritual and I'm sure they'll talk to you. So it's very much a referral, what you call a snowball effect as well. So out of the 63 people that I interviewed, I'd say 50 were complete strangers. 13 were acquaintances who I'd met through my al groups. So, and even then these strangers, because we don't really know each other, we just recognize a familiarity. So I would approach people in street, in the shops, not just out of the blue, and ask them. Hmm. 
Okay, yeah. The, the, this question was just in my head. How do you find them? Again, I have a master degree and then, you know, qualitative uh, research and all that. And how how did that change your perspective? I mean, now when we look at the time frame, 2007, late 7, 2008, 9, you go in Al-Anon, you, you go back to work in 2014, like, I do... Um, PhD master thesis uh sorry doctor thesis um and then like wow that's two th that's eight years ago <laughs> that's a big big chunk there and now you work again how did you know you, you already started to change through the Alanon right and then how much did this work change you or what did it teach you so, it, it, yeah, great question, because when, when you're on your own, you feel on your own. And when you, when you hear other people and their experiences that are far, 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 far worse than your own, it puts things into perspective. And then you listen to how they've applied their program and beliefs and how they've overcome adversity. So I was very, very humble in terms of these people have really, I, I was in a dark place, but these people, murder and suicide, and they were serious. That, that was, you know, it, it, some of them were talking about, they'd even push people down the stairs hoping to kill them. Seriously? You know, yeah, so that, that's serious shit, really serious, rock bottom, murder or suicide, because like you can't go on, let's, let's finish it, let's hang yourself or wherever you want to do it. Or let's murder the person because they've got on your nerves and he's causing that much stress. It's unbelievable. So it was very humbling to see these people to talk about it so openly. Who've overcome all that and speak with humility, not you know, not not being you're not being humiliated, but humility with gratitude and appreciation that they got through those bad times, really bad times, and they could laugh. And they had a balance of life and how much it had changed them for the better rather than make them bitter and twisted. And some of the things they did and some of the things they've done gave me a lot of hope and a lot of faith that what I was doing for myself was okay for me as well, that things do turn out. And you might not see it, you might not think it, you might think your situation's unique, you might think that you're the only person who goes through it, but it's back to the peanuts. You know, what, what's desperate for some is not desperate for others, but desperate nonetheless. And it was about, well, if all these people can get through what they've been through and make the toughest, toughest decisions that you could possibly imagine to get themselves out of the situation and got through it with humour and being humble and gratitude and appreciation and not bitter and twisted and not on any, any medication gives you a lot of strength and a lot of faith and a lot of hope. So, so, so just while I'm thinking about it, sorry. So the differences between my dissertation and book and between other people's, I've not wrote a dissertation for business where at the end I've done some research and made some recommendations for businesses to do. My book and dissertation is very much personal and professional. So I live my work. I haven't just produced a dissertation and got my doctor and said, thank you very much, look at me. 
a lot of me is in that. A lot of genuine, humble people are in it. And I live my dissertation and my book rather than it's just an academic paper that I've done to get a doctorate. So it's very personal and very professional to me. I live it. And to hear other people living it and what they've been through, and some of the quotes are brilliant. Some of them are very funny. Some of them are very sad. Makes you realise. Yeah. Ah, oh, there's so many more questions. Um, how <laughs> was the... Um... The feedback for for the dissertation. Did you get any feedback from industry or was it only from the university? Uh, academics don't do that. Uh, academics like like to um, uh, rubbish things <laughs> because ru rubbishing things is more interesting. Ah, <laughs> oh. because if you agree with things, it's boring. Oh. So I, I set off in my dissertation to rubbish every other everybody's research <laughs> <laughs> because that makes it interesting. You know, if I if I said to you, I like apples, and you said, Well, I like apples as well, why do you like apples? That's a bit dull. As I said, I like apples, and you said you can't stand it. What don't you like about apples? That makes for an interesting discussion. So It's ironic in the academic world, the more confrontational you are, but with a balanced argument, the better it is. So the feedback was a case of the feedback you get, and it's the only one you want. Well done. Congratulations. You've got your doctorate, Dr. Broadhurst. That's what's said. That's, that's all you get. After that, my, that's when my professor admitted that it was a good piece of work and introduced me to the publishers. But that is the academic world. <laughs> okay, that, that's not what I expected at all, but you're right. I mean, I just remember you need to take all these different journals and reports and look at that and take it apart and... Uh, yes, and link back and forth. Yes, I... I Not my world. Okay, let's then look at the book. Uh, now it's out for a year, or how long has it been on the? It's market? been out. It's it's and and it surprised me. It went on Amazon, and then my ego went in, and I, I started googling it, and it's been sold all over the world, which was a complete surprise to me. It's in Barnes and Noble in America, India, Amazon, Australia. It's been sold all over the world. Oh. And that is very humbling. Now, if I was to give you an example, 14 years ago, I would have gone, look at me. I've written a book. It's going to sell millions, millions. But I don't do that anymore. I've written a book because I was given the opportunity to write a book. I wrote the book to the best of my ability. And to be honest, I don't care if it only sells one. Because if I thought I want to sell a thousand and I don't achieve it, that's me setting a standard and expectation I can do nothing about. Did, did you get so, feedback from, from the readers? Did anyone reach out to you because they read the book? And I, I've, got, I've got a few five stars, but nobody's directly wrote back. The, the trouble is with the, with the subject of spirituality, it's a subject that's too far in people's minds. 
And the problem in the business world is what we've just discussed. The business is there to make money. And spiritualism is, is spirituality. Sorry, that was a fraudulent slip. Spirituality is a step too far in people's minds. They think it's rubbish. It's misunderstood. It's rehashed. Part of my dissertation was to say it's not about servant leadership and altruism or this, that and the other, loving everybody and loving everything and turning the other cheek. As you alluded to earlier on, it, it's, it's, it's a wire brush and, it, and, it's, and it's hard, but it's worth doing. You've got to be gentle on yourself, but be self-effacing. You've got, you've got to look at yourself. That's the wire brush, but you can apply, apply as much pressure as you want. So the only thing I can say is it was put on a price on Amazon a year last April, and it's still that price now. Okay. So that so means it's, it's still selling. Yeah. So it's selling. Um, you said you were not writing it as a self-improvement book, so but how is it written? Is it with, um, yeah dry like an academic book where like i interviewed blah 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 people they answered like this they answered like that or is it more like with the stories or the experiences different people shared so the the dissertation has to be academic yeah but the book itself yeah but i but then i i was i was given permission to be creative in my book so even though it's got to be academic and, and follow, sorry, the dissertation has to be academic, I was given some license to make it not dry. It's an interesting read, but has to follow a format like it has to. In my book, because academia is dry, and who wants to pick up a book, a self-help book or a workbook that's dry? I mean, that's, that's hard work. And I've read enough business books to know that that's horrible. You know, it's boring. So what? So it's it's written very much with personality. So the colour in it, there's diagrams in it, there's trivia in it, there's going off at tangents in it. <laughs> we just know to you. Make it, just to make it an interesting read where you could pick it up and go, not oh, right but read it where it's factual. There's a little bit of fun in it because not, not everything has to be solemn and dry. There's trivia, but there's meaning in it. And, and the very least I say is if you pick up my dissertation and especially pick up my book and it just creates a spark of a different thought or a different perspective of, of what spirituality is all about, what life's all about, Maybe that's wrong to say that, what not life's all about, but give you a bit of a thought to what life to you should be all about. Then it's done its job. Because people will go out and spend hundreds and hundreds, and I've done it, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds on an academic book to get them to a qualification. But they won't buy a book that will help their own self-development. And I find that pretty bizarre. I mean, I can tell you how much the book's going for on Amazon and you won't believe it because I can't believe it. I had nothing to do with the price. But people go, what that? How much that for a book? But people are buying it. It's obviously worth it because it still keeps selling. But they'll go and spend the same amount and more on a business academic book what's boring and awful and dreadful 
but won't go and spend money on a, on a book what will potentially help them to look at things in a different way. And that's, that's the human mind. Yeah, I, 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 I just remember a bit more than a year ago, I was having a talk with a Swiss guy, which had similar, yeah, he also worked in Denmark for a short time, similar issues. And he told me about the book. I'm like, wow, a hundred euros for that book. <laughs> But um, I, I didn't buy it because, yeah. It was also heavy and I wasn't sure if I like it and I'm spending a hundred euros for a book. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm reading it was a bit thefty. Um, but yeah, I also remember school. There was a lot of books and it just cost so much money and I was like, come on. <laughs> but, you don't, but you don't think anything about it. I spent hundreds and hundreds of pounds yeah. on business books. And yet, and people do. And yet they won't buy a book that potentially could help the way of, uh, you know, help them yeah. directly. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, is there, is there any story, any interview that was standing out very strong for you, which really was like, wow. Well, uh, without being a cop out, they're all strong in their own rights for different reasons. You know, this when you talk about people's lives and what's important to them and what they've been through, they, they were all very, very powerful because of the honesty and the the the, the, the straightforwardness of, of it all. But but there was a couple of the the, the trivial things as, as well as the major things. So I I had one, I was interviewing one who was a, a self-confessed workaholic and how he was stressed through that. And, and what he'd been through. And then I got other ones that were going through the bizarreness of, of what was said to them by very senior leaders. So one, one girl, at, and, and this is so minor, got, got sacked from a job for wearing a black bra and a white blouse. Mm -hmm. And you just think, why? Well, it was an excuse to get rid of her. You know, the, the, the boss, she said, was always talking about sex. He was a bit dodgy. He was doing this, that, and the other. And, and you start reading into the human psyche and the, trivia, the triviality and the bullying and the attitudes of people astounded me. You know, you think another human being's done that to the point of being laughable, but caused serious consequences. So I'm, I'm not going to pick out any particular one because that wouldn't be fair. But each in their own right, telling these different stories, some are fun, some are trivial, but serious. You know, they're not telling me to make me laugh. They're telling me because at the time it was laughable, but laughably serious because it was making the lives of misery, stupid, stupid things, people's attitude. Other, another human being's attitude and behavior towards another human being. It, it's crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, I can, I can, I think I can read in between what you're saying that when you interviewed them, they were on the other side, right? So they were, they overcame that dark period of their life and they were seeing how ridiculous some of their actions and feelings and thoughts were. 
Do I get that right? Yeah, and, and other people's. But at, at the same time, those ridiculous actions and thoughts from themselves and other people's were causing serious consequences, were causing suffering. And I at said, At the right, moment, right? At no, the moment. But at that moment. But as time gone by and you put things into perspective and you look at things in a different way, and this is what I'm saying, this is about intention, ignorance rather than intention or, or you know, whatever, to look at the madness of that situation. And it is madness. And get through it. And now be in a position to not demean it or belittle it, but laugh about it shows how far people come from that really, really, really dark time from what they've done to themselves and what other people are doing to them to look back at it and go, and I tried to push, I pushed him down the stairs because I hated him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> that brings me also to another thing, like attitude of gratitude and forgiveness are the two biggest powers many people say also scientifically proven apparently to some degree um of 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 having a better life this this forgiveness and i i don't know if you know aaron apke he's he, he has been very much in he has a big youtube channel now he he was in this catholic church in america went eastern came back and he he said one of the biggest thing is that really the forgiveness part, but people misunderstand. They they think to forgive a person is to forgive the act, really like, you know, trying to kill someone, abuse, sexual harassment, and so on and so forth. But he said it's not to accept or, or just, you know, say this act was okay. It's actually to see the person and the pain the person must have been to commit such an act which is so inhuman and you say you, you were interviewing people which are actually pushing other people so they hope that person will die so that you know the pain that person was into actually trying to kill someone and then later on in life seeing like what the jerk have i been right isn't it so the people were really in pain to actually be able to do something like that well, I, I, well it, and under certain circumstances, you know, what, what we've got to remember is, I, I agree with some of that, but not all of that. What we've got to remember is there's evil in the world. There is. You know, there's a bit of good in bad people and there's a, there's a bit of bad in good people. And that, that's the way it is. And the only thing, the only person you, you forgive is yourself. <laughs> you forgive yourself because we've all done stupid, stupid, stupid things. So you forgive yourself and you try not to do them again or you won't do them again. That's the way of apologizing to yourself and the world to say, do you know what? That was ridiculous. I'll forgive myself and I won't do it again. I've learned my lessons. If somebody's caused you pain and suffering, that is extremely hard to forgive them. Really hard. You know, then we get into religious territory. But what spirituality teaches you is to say, don't let that not forgiving make you resentment, re resentful. Chew your life up to the extent where you've got hatred, that you constantly want revenge, that you'd happily stab that person, you know, commit murder. 
that's that's the extreme. You don't have to forgive anybody. This is a misconception about spirituality. If I if I don't like what you've done or anybody else, I, I never have to bother with you again. But because I don't have to bother with you again, doesn't mean to say I sit there in, in six years' time going, ooh, that Oliver, ooh, and it, ooh, what he did to me was horrible. Ooh, if only it's about not so much forgiving and not even forgetting. It's about not getting that situation, what causes a hardened resentment, that causes hatred, that makes you all bitter and twisted where you can't see the light of life. Now, I know I'm getting perhaps a little bit into the darker place. <laughs> I met a guy here and uh, we got down a bit to talk about, you know, feeling good, feeling bad, sickness. And he has like all this dry skin and, and he said he knows exactly why he has it. And I'm like, okay, why? And he's like, because he has been sexually abused by a friend of his father. And I'm like, okay, if you know what it is, can you forgive the person or the, the bondage you have there, the, the resentment, as you call it? It's like, no, because his sister and other kids have been suffering through that man. So he knows who it is. And he know. I think he said he knows where he lives, but if he would see that person, he will kill him for what he did. And I can see the suffering this person has in him. Also, you know, all the dry skin on the elbows and probably on the knees because of holding on to that. How would you, you know, how would you tell him? Because I understand a bit what you come from and I still try to understand the part of forgiveness. So for me, what I said before makes kind of sense. It's not the act which is forgivable it's kind of like understanding the pain the person has been but how would you help a person which is in such a situation which has a really hard time like that i mean this is really terrible it, it is it's awful and, and there's, there's no way of 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 diminishing that and and he's quite right you don't you know don't have to forgive why should he forgive it's not it's, it's, there's no reason to forgive the thing is though as, as i said earlier on it's manifesting it in himself the grit's in him now, he was a little boy. It's not his fault. You know, he's got to forgive himself. What he went through was, was very harrowing. The brutal thing is, and, and this is where it's got to be really gentle and really be careful. It's about the past has gone. You know, that it, yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery. All we can do is live in the now. And there's a saying, if you've got one foot in the past and one foot in the future, because, you know, we all dwell about the past and we all worry about the future, you end up pissing in the now. And all we've got is the now. And there's nothing, nothing this person can do about what's happened to them. That's history. They can try and let it go. They can diminish it. They can look for the triggers. They can scrub the dirt out. They can look at a healthier way of living life in the now and try as they might, because it's about work in progress and not perfection, is to go, that wasn't my fault. I didn't ask that for to be done to me. I didn't want that to be done to me. It was done to me. Why me? We can all ask that question. Well, it can always be somebody else. Why shouldn't it be us and the we? And really to go, 
am I really going to make that event that I have no control over what some horrible evil bastard did to me affect me for the rest of my life? And that's the brutal choices. It's either remove the situation from you, live in the situation, or ask the situation to be removed from yourself. And the past is the past. And it's forgiving yourself and making friends with the past and recognise it and not burying it, face up to it. What can you do differently and think differently to enable you to have the rest of your life to be the best of your life rather than letting the past dictate? And that sounds fairly easy. And I said to you, simple programme for very complex situations. I've heard some horrendous, horrendous stories, not dissimilar to yours. And it's exactly that, learning to live with it, making friends with it in a strange sort of way and getting on with your life the best way you can. Wow. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Um, I... I don't have such a situation in my life, luckily. At least I don't think so. <laughs> Or I cannot remember. So, yeah. So now we have like the first question answered. Um, authentic. <laughs> <laughs> After three hours of talk. No, um, we have much more done. Um, I didn't even go through my standard questions. You, You just, you know. I know now why you wrote 200 pages and went off tangents. And how would you <laughs> to at least go? I mean, I think this is for depression to expression. I really want to make this podcast a motivation for people which are in a dark place to, to see there is a way out. Uh, and I can be much more. I can be shiny. I, being, I can be literally a diamond. I can you know, get so stronger on the other side that at least that's the, the feeling I have from what you shared from your research and your own life. So how would you look at depression? What is depression and where is it coming from? Well, you're getting into the psychological realms, aren't you? We're, we're, all, we're all chemicals. We're all DNA. We're all, we're all a making of, of years and years, millions of years of evolution. We can't tell what's in us. If it's there, it's there. And, and there's only so far we can remove it. There's only so far we can deal with it. So there's obviously the, 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 the antidepressant route, the drug route, which might be a chemical imbalance. And we need that, excuse me, to balance ourselves up a little bit. But then equally it might be a sticking plaster to get us through it without really looking at the root cause of that depression. And for that, you can go to psychiatrists, counselors, whatever, whatever. And some people do, but mainly part of my research, fully enough, people did go to um, uh, counselors, but and, and even dabbled with antidepressants and none of it worked for them. Mindfulness didn't work for them, just seeing it all bubble up and not doing anything about it. So it's really in a nice, gentle way, confronting it and going, do you know what? It's a feeling and it's a horrible feeling, but it's just a feeling. So it's almost boxing it up into a different way. It's like fear. You know, what, what's fear? What is depression? Why am I feeling it? It's an emotion. And we can recognize it as something what comes and goes. If we need medical help, we need medical help. 
what's triggering that depression? Is it back to the broken leg? Is it telling us that poor me and, you know, things aren't right and I need to do something about it. Look at my situation. So it's, it's like I say, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not into psychology. But through my research and being through all my meetings, people handle it by very, very slowly trying to change the way they think about things. You know, it's very dark. I've been fed up. I've been adding my head in my hands. I've been thinking that there's no way out of this. And I started to live by the day, one day at a time. And it got that bad, Oliver, where I started to live an hour at a time. And if the day was going really, really shit and really dark and black, I would start the day again. So it was five o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock, two o'clock. I'd, I'd go back home, pretend to get back out of bed and go, I'll start the day again, I'll reboot. And we can't help our feelings. It's what we do with our feelings. That's the difference. You know, they're just feelings, but horrible nonetheless. So it's learning to live with them, learning to look for the triggers and the realisation and knowing that those dark times will pass. This too shall pass. Might be an hour, might be a couple of days, it might be a week, but it passes. And I used to think, well, at least I haven't got cancer. And what I went through was extremely unpleasant. But I've heard chemotherapy is extremely unpleasant as well. So it's about perspective. And it's about, I wake up in the morning now, and I'm not a morning person. It takes me about three cups of tea and two cups of coffee to start my heart. But I go out and I feed the birds. And at night, I feed the badgers. And I look for things could be worse. You know, you talk about that person who's been abused, and I've heard some harrowing stories. I haven't had any of that. So why am I feeling dark? Why am I feeling down? Now, because I did. But I've come out of it. And sometimes I get fed up, and sometimes I don't. But I accept them as feelings and this too shall pass or what do I need to do if anything at all to brighten my outlook what do I need rather than what I want so there's no ready-made solutions and I'm not decrying antidepressants but the, the sticking plasters the mass and if you've got a genuine chemical imbalance that's fine but the rest is going why and just changing that mindset a little bit because the, the answers are out there the answers to the problems are all out there the trouble is we don't like the answers <laughs> so if you've got a problem and you've got a solution to the problem you're fine when you've got a problem and you don't like the solution you're fucked so it's it's the thoughts and it's it's uh, what did you say ego and super ego um which doesn't like yeah the ism right ism it's it's how big the ism is and it's looking at that ism and it might be huge and you might not be able to get rid of it all or you might have to chip away at it very very slowly but once you confront it and recognize it and realize the root cause of it 
it's massive and people shy away from that. And that's what I'm saying. I wasn't being crude. Well, I was being crude saying, if you don't like the solution of confronting your ism, you're fucked. You've always got it. Whereas if you start that gentle approach and look at it and weigh it up and just think, well, I could just shave a little bit off and shave a little bit off and I'll find a little bit of happiness feeding the birds or going for a walk or doing a drawing. Well, do you know what? In the world and where I'm supposed to be, I'm doing all I can. I'm applying for jobs. I've done the best in my relationships. I've done this. I've done that. And at this moment, I can't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Well, do you know what? That's about time. And people are impatient. You've got to give time time. All you can do is what you can do to the best of your ability. And if there's nothing more you can do, let it go and see what the universe gives you. And if there's more you can do, what you like and dislike, especially what you dislike, to move your situation on, that's the courage. And it's the wisdom to know the difference. It's back to the serenity prayer. Right. And it's not about happiness. And it's not about depression. It's about serenity. Serenity Serenity is your balance. Serenity is your measure. That's what it's all about. Seeking serenity in whatever situation you're in, knowing that this too shall pass and you've only got one life. What do I need to do? Yeah. And, and for you, it helped to gently look at it, but it also helped to be at this Al-Anon meetings, right? Well, it does because you come together with like-minded people and you share experiences. With Al-Anon and, and any 12-step program, you don't tell people what to do because you can't. That's control. But you, you pick a topic and you discuss it from your perspective and that gives food for thought. So you listen to what you want to hear, you do what you want to do, and it'll either work or not for you. You know, you think, well, that person's tried it, or then you share where you failed, but their failure doesn't mean to say, that's your failure. That might work for you. So you, you're taught, you don't give advice, you don't tell people what to do, you share your experiences, and you take that away and gives that spark of thought to go, I'll try that. It might not work for you, but it might work for me. Or actually, I'll look at that in a different way. Or I'll try that because that worked for Oliver, but it might not work for me. Yeah. And it's about having that empathy. It's about having that perspective. It's about having that strength. Exactly what we said an hour or two back of trying something new, of doing something new, looking at something new. Yeah. And off you go. And what is the opposite then of depression? Euphoria. Euphoria. <laughs> awesome. I, I don't go further in it. We have two times one and a half hour episodes. So we definitely have two episodes here. Um, you, When we started, I asked you to describe yourself. And we had a very long talk about authentic. Communicate. Uh, com communicative, I think, was the other one. Quirky. That one. Hmm? Yeah, quirky, quirky was that and communicative we have heard that because we have three hours i think we do not know need to go into that one but quirky how would you in in a short so we can so we close that uh, interview for today well okay i'm sorry but let, let's just touch on communication so I, i'm a natural communicator but the difference is what i say now and do now is different than how I communicated prior to my spirituality. I was very sarcastic, very blunt, 
very cutting, very sharp, very quick, not very nice in what I said. Okay. okay. So now I communicate in a different way. But I not only talk, I listen as well. In the previous life, I didn't listen at all. It was my way or the highway. I was right. Everybody else was wrong. Arrogant. So now I listen and I take on board other people's values and beliefs and perspectives. I might not agree with them, but I respect them. And I think, well, if, that, if that's what you want to do, go out at night and kick dogs and set fire to cars, that's up to you. I don't agree with it, but get on with it and I don't have anything to do with it. So a bit extreme. So I listen to what people say. Sometimes I agree, sometimes I don't. But I'm not that arrogant to think I'm right all the time. I learn. I learn from things and wait all. So that's communication. So I, I communicate differently. Quirky, sort of like ties into communication because I think what you say has got to be interesting. I think what you read is has got to be interesting. That's why the book's gone down the slightly, you know, a little bit of facts, facts and trivia in there to just make it a little bit more colourful. And I learned years ago to learn odd things and do odd things that just makes that thing a little bit more interesting. So I, I, collect, I collect stuff and I look at stuff and I do stuff and I say stuff and I read trivia. That's got something that you can talk about in a lighthearted way, what's got a bit of a story to it. So in my house, I've got very little. But what I have got has got a lot of story attached to things. So you could come in my house and you go, all right, there's a lot of rubbish in here. But if you could you point to something and there's a story behind it, there's a quirkiness, it's interesting, it means something, it's not just something. And it's about having that, that colour, that twinkle in your eye, that trivia, that brightness, that humour, that quirkiness, that just puts a different spin on things, that makes it just a little bit more interesting. You know, you've, you've not spoken to, to me for the best part of three hours because I'm good looking. <laughs> well, you don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, well, you're only human. You know, part of it is because it's a serious topic, but approached in a, a different, interesting way, a slightly quirky way. And that's what makes it interesting, brings things to life. So when I speak to people, I drop all sorts of tangents in and colouring and things in and facts in just to make things a little bit more interesting. Yeah, so now now we 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 ended where we started kind of. Um the book we talked about. I don't know if during the interview we, we mentioned the name or the title of it. And you said Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So there it is, the first edition in a plastic. Yeah, it's, it's reflective with all the it's lights. The first, it's the first edition. This is my ego of having it in a plastic cover on the sideboard. <laughs> so it's called Spirituality in the Workplace. Yeah, a tool for relations, sustainability and growth in turbulent and interconnected markets. Yes. So that... There's no is, doctor on it. It's, it's, no, they don't. You don't want to have to doctor... They won't, the publishers don't put that on. It's on, if you look at it, if you look at most books like this, they don't have that on. On the inside cover, it does say 
that you're on the a doctor. Front, it doesn't say it because <laughs> in a way that that puts me forward as an expert and it's like on a scale of one to ten how spiritual are you so suddenly dr broadest is a is a is a an expert and i'm not i just know what i know and i, I you know i'm on the path perhaps a bit further than you and other people on the path a bit further than me so it's all about that's what it is and it hints at the the, the, the personal bit, a tool for relations. That's in your professional and personal life. Sustaining that change, looking at that change, growth, both as a business and personally, turbulent, chaotic life. Yeah? Interconnected people and markets. So how do we all work together as one? And we're all interconnected with somebody else and connected to others. How do we work around that? So it's a very subtle title that covers all those, both personally and professionally. Yeah. But yes, it, it's on Amazon. Uh, is it also Kindle if it's on Amazon? or It's on Kindle as well. You can download it on Kindle. Uh, far cheaper than the hard copy, but I personally prefer a hard copy to, to pick up and look at. But yes, it's on Amazon. Um, Spirituality in the Workplace, Stephen J. Broadhurst. Yeah, it's and pricey, but it's selling, and obviously people think it's worth it who've bought it. So don't hesitate. And and by the way, I don't make much money out of it, so I'm not flogging it because I make a fortune. <laughs> I get very very little out of it. I do it more. I've done it more for ego <laughs> rather than money. So if it's so, pricey, yeah. Amazon is earning good money on you for every book they sell. Then. Absolutely. And the publishers is as well, because they've got to print it and distribute it and market it and all the rest of it. So you, you'd, be, you'd be shocked if I told you how yeah. much I got out of it. Peanuts. But that's not why I did it. I did it because I hope at least one person will pick it up and go, oh, yeah. It changed my life. And if people say, okay, that was interesting. Um, I want to have personal interaction with this doctor, <laughs> Steve Brodhorst. Um, where can they reach out to you? So they can find me on LinkedIn, Stephen with a PH, Broadhurst, B-R-O-A-D-H-U-R-S-T, uh, EDBA. I haven't put doctor on it. It's got EDBA at the end of it, Executive Doctor in Business Administration. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, happy to share my email address. I don't know if this is the right forum to do that, but I'm happy to do that. If you have one. Yeah, okay, so it's my name. Steve, S-T-E-V-E, J Broadhurst at yahoo.co.uk. Oh, yes. <laughs> UK. <laughs> Super. That's awesome. Anything I forgot to ask you? I mean, we have a lot of talk. Anything you want to get off the heart? There's, there's always something. It's, it's a huge subject. It's a brilliant, brilliant subject. And we've covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. Yeah, we did. <laughs> But there is, there are answers. There is hope and faith. Um, it's about courage and it's about serenity and it's about having a decent life. I think there was one thing that I wanted to pick up on and mention and I've completely forgotten amongst the general scheme of things. So all I can say is maybe we'll reconvene and have another one session when we've reflected on this. If there's any questions that are coming out or people are interested to know more, there's always more to be spoken about. But without 
flogging it and really killing the killing the subject. I think we've gone as far as we can go. I'm sure there's lots of loose ends that need tying off, but that's the nature of the, the subject and the conversation. So if there's any questions or people want to reach out to me or you can think of, that's fine. Let's 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 do another one. Yeah, we can we can always do more. Um yeah, with that, thank you so much. I'm pretty roasted, I can tell you guys. It's quarter to twelve, quarter to midnight for me. Um and I need to walk for with the dog. I only went very fast before we had to interview. Next time when I have you on the show, I better put it at six o'clock my time. <laughs> Instead of eight well, o'clock. Thank you for your time and your interest. And at the end of the day, the message is look, look after yourself. Yeah. Look after I yourself the best way you can. Yeah, I definitely feel much better than yesterday. Yesterday at the same time, I talked to a friend and I was about to really like, you know, like, how do I just end this? Because I don't want to continue this life that way. And today I'm like all better. And it is really this practice. This will also be over, uh, especially when I'm, when I'm in this dark place where I'm like, fuck, I'm just... Just give me your cancer because I can see you You want to live more than me give, so you have a better life. And having these thoughts are really like, seriously, how can you think like that? But in that moment, you just feel and think like that. So um, Well, exactly. Without going around it all again, it's perspective because people have, have, have got a far harder life and they don't want to end it. Some don't, or they do, <laughs> but they get through it. And it'll be all, or I promise you, it'll all be all right in the end. It is. I mean, um, there's so many people which went the path. Super. With that, dear listeners, thank you for for um, staying that long with us. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, please leave any reviews or messages for anything. Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you for your time and thank you for everybody for listening. I'll speak to you again and hopefully hear from you all again soon.